God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the people there, so we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, of course, that's where we've been, and chapter 9, we're just going to finish that up today real quick and go into chapter 10 right after that. So last week we covered from chapter 9, verse 1 through chapter 9, verse 19, but we're going to go back a couple of verses and start today at verse 18. That's where we're going to start today in Genesis 9. And of course, as you know, we'll also put those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. We're continuing, as I said, in our beginning series in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, Hasefer Bereshit, the book of beginnings. And today, I'd like to talk to you about the key to end time prophecies. Now, you may remember that not too long ago, we talked about the 150 days that the water was covering the mountains on the earth and that that was exactly five months. From the 17th day of the second month, the Bible said, to the second, uh, 17th day of the seventh month. Five months exactly. And that was important because it established that five months was 150 days, remember? So every month was 30 days, and that's a key. That is a key to biblical prophecy because you can figure out exactly when the Messiah was going to come into Jerusalem based on that. Hundreds of years before he came, based on that, you could figure out the very day that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on that colt of a donkey, just like he did to fulfill all those prophecies that week and even on that journey on that donkey, which was also spoken about in the prophecies in the Tanakh or the Old Testament. And so that was a key to prophecy, that 30-day month, because it won't work with a 31-day month or a 28 or a 29-day month and then some of them 30. No, the biblical month, the Hebrew month, that all of the Hebrew feasts are based upon, all the Hebrew observances, termination of Pesach, Yom Kippur, all of that is based on a lunar calendar, which has to do with a 30-day month. Well, that was a key to deciphering prophecy. Today, you get the second key. The key to end-time prophecies by telling who settled in what nations. So that later in the Tanakh, in the prophecies of the Tanakh, in the Torah, you would be able to see those names that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 and see exactly where they settled and then you can go to a modern map today and see where that area is and what that nation is called. And you can know that when it talks about in the Bible, in the Tanakh, that that particular nation or these nations will invade Israel in the future, you'll know where that invasion is going to come from. But you don't have to worry. God's got you covered. Because also in those prophecies later in the Tanakh, he says that he's taking care of Israel. So, he who watches Israel does neither slumber nor sleep. That's what the Bible says in the Tanakh. And so we're going to be talking about the key to end time prophecies today. And, you know, last week we talked about the first part of chapter 9, but we need to wrap that up 
there's a little story at the end of chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, where it talks about the sons of Noah. After they went out of the ark, remember? And what we're going to do today is, as we cover these verses, we're only going to cover two, three, four at a time. And I'll put those verses up here in the video as I cover them. And then we'll take them away, and then we'll talk about them for a little while. It's a little different from what we usually do, but fasten your seatbelt. We're going to get going. And it's going to be a quick trip through the rest of 9 and all of chapter 10 in the book of Genesis. It says in verse 18 in chapter 9 of the book of Genesis, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You know them. Those three sons that Noah had. It was Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. Eight people were in the ark along with all those animals. And so now they're coming out of the ark. That's what happened in chapter 9. God showed them the rainbow, told them he was never again going to destroy the earth with water, and, and he showed the rainbow as a sign of his covenant in the sky. And so it says, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Now maybe you've heard that term, Canaan. That's the land that Israel, God brought Israel into to possess that land later. Well, this is where it started. Ham had a son named Can Canaan. So the three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham had a son named Canaan. But it says in verse 19, these three were the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And from these, the whole earth was populated. Well, of course, the whole earth had been destroyed. And now from these three, the earth is populated. From these three sons came all the nations of the earth as we know them. All the ones who have been through the, through the history and through the centuries and all the ones who are now. And even some of the major cities we can identify by the things we're going to talk about right here in this message today. The descendants of these three sons are listed in what we call the table of the nations. The table of the nations is Genesis chapter 10. It's an incredible chapter. Unlike any other prophecy, any other record in history, in human history, it shows who started all the nations, where they came from, from these three sons, where they settled, and how each of those nations got started. Now, we've talked about Genesis being Hasefer Bereshit, the book of beginnings. Bereshit, in the beginning. Sefer, book. Hasefer Bereshit is a book of beginnings. We talked about the beginning of creation. The beginning of the universe, the beginning of the seas, the waters, the, the sun, the moon, all of these things is the beginning of mankind. Chapter 3 in Genesis, we talked about the beginning of sin. Chapter 6, we talked about the beginning of violence and terrible sin and ugliness and no one could have a peaceful life because everyone was being killed and violence was all over the earth and God had to destroy it. So he started a new beginning with Noah. And then in chapter 9, he brought him out of the ark. And now those three sons are going to be a beginning of all of civilization as we know it today. And then chapter 10 that we get into in just a minute or two is going to be the beginning of all the nations as well. So let's start now. It says in chapter 9, verse 20, Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. And then he drank some of the wine and he was drunk. And he became uncovered. He was naked in his tent. 
Verse 22 then says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he took his two brothers, and he told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth, they took a garment, they laid it on their shoulders, and they walked backwards toward their father, and they covered his nakedness with that garment. Their faces were turned away, and they didn't see the nakedness of their father. But Ham did, and he had told Shem and Japheth. And actually, the, the language that we're seeing in the Hebrew indicates that it wasn't good. He was kind of like gloating over the shame of his father. And he was not honoring his father as he should when he told his brothers. But it says that Shem and Japheth walked backwards and took this garment toward their father, and they covered him, and they did not see his nakedness. But of course, the question is, is how did he get drunk? Why did he get drunk? Well, you know, we don't know the details, but remember, before the flood, they might not have even had wine. They might not have had things that could make them drunk at that time. We don't know. But we do know that he became a farmer. Noah became a farmer. That's what the verses say today. And then in that, there were some grapes growing. He found some grapes. He, he decided they taste good, so he grew some. And then after a while, he decided, well, he would try to squeeze that juice. Maybe he didn't even know what it would do to him, especially after it was fermented. Now, we like grape juice, but wine can make you drunk and cause all kinds of problems and loss of self-control. Some people think that it was only after the flood that man made intoxicating drinks. We don't really know. And Noah's own sinful and shameful actions show the foolishness of drunkenness. When he kept drinking that stuff and became so drunk that he didn't know where he was, he didn't know what he was doing, well, just like the book of Proverbs says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. It's a fighter. It beats you up. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So Noah was a man just like you and I. He was a person just like we are people. He was human just like we're human. And he was led astray by sin. And he drank this and was drunk and became not in control of himself. That's what drunkenness does. You know, today people talk about the Holy Spirit. And many people talk about the Holy Spirit and they don't realize what they're saying when they say they want to be drunk in the Spirit. In other words, they want the Holy Spirit to make them do crazy things. Actually, the Bible says what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, generosity, kindness, meekness, humility. All of these things are listed as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Never is lack of self-control listed as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, self-control is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. Not the lack of self-control, but self-control, having self-control. Well, drunkenness makes you without self-control. And the people that talk about being drunk in the Spirit don't know what they're talking about. If they want to do the things of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit anointing them and being upon them, then those fruits are listed. So check those out where it talks about those in the New Testament and see if your life is matching the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, if it's not, don't say that what you're doing is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, speaking of alcohol, alcohol is a depressant. It loosens people up. They lose their self-control, as we said. They lose their wisdom. They lose their balance. They lose their judgment. That's why when a policeman will take a person out of a car because he suspects that they're driving while they're intoxicated, driving while they're drunk, he will have them walk a straight line with their hands out. And if they can't walk that straight line, it's a pretty good indication that they're drunk. They can't even walk a straight line. Now, you lose your wisdom, you lose your balance, you lose your judgment, you lose your self-control. The filling of the Holy Spirit, though, has the opposite effect. He's a stimulant. He's not a depressant. He influences every aspect of our being so that we can become more like Christ. Being more conformed to the image of God. We're wiser. We're smarter. We're more humble. We're prayerful as we go forward on that straight line. Being held up by God. We don't lose self-control. We gain self-control when we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, getting drunk is just trying to run away from reality. You may think it gets you away from your problems, but actually it takes you right into the middle of far greater problems. Alcohol abuse today causes many people a lot of sorrow. Many people who get drunk become victims of abuse, in, in fact, sexual and otherwise. 75% of men and 55% of women involved in date rape situations were drinking or taking drugs just before they were attacked. The FBI in the Department of Justice in America says that 50% of all rapes today involve alcohol. Now, the people who are raped are still victims. They're not the perpetrator, they're the victims of this terrible crime. But if you have alcohol in your system, you're not aware of some of the things that are happening to you. And evil people can take advantage of you when you're not in control of your own mind and when you're not in control of your own body. You're less likely to be taken advantage of when you're in control of your senses and you don't have all that alcohol in your system. Then you can make intelligent decisions. So those are the statistics. And if you think that you're really smarter when you're drunk, you're mistaken. When I was a young man, late teenage years, maybe 18 years of age, I remember I went with two other friends. This is before I knew Christ as my Savior and Lord. And we drove out somewhere and there was one guy with us younger than me by one year. and There was another guy also my age. Well, the younger one got drunk. And I remember he was laying in the floor of a room that we were in. He was laying on his back. And he would turn to his left and he would throw up. And then he would turn to his right and throw up some more. It was disgusting, obviously. Even when you hear me talking about it, it's disgusting. He did that back and forth, wallowing in his own vomit. Disgusting. But the amazing thing is, the next day, he told both of us, he said, that was so much fun. When can we go out and do that again? He didn't even know what he had done. He didn't even know the things that he had allowed himself to do, wallowing in all of that and being disgusting. He didn't remember any of it. In the United States, 100,000 people die each year in alcohol and alcohol-related deaths. 
and alcohol abuse costs the nation hundreds of billions of dollars each year. But still, the average American television viewer sees 90,000 incidents of drinking on television by the time he's 21 years of age and 100,000 beer commercials before he's 18 years of age. And then you wonder why people want to drink when they get older. It's not a good thing. It's okay to drink in moderation, but when you drink in excess, knowing that you're gonna lose control, trying to experiment with it, it's the beginning of sorrow. And many people who start that journey die from that journey and try hard to get out of it but feel like they're possessed later in life and that there is no hope for them. But if you are in that situation and you cry out to God, He will deliver you. He will deliver you. He delivered my father on earth. He delivered people that I know from our family. He delivered others that I've worked with through the years. I've seen God deliver wonderful people from slaves to alcohol, to people who are wise, at peace, and resting, and content in God. You cry out to Him, He won't let you down. But anyway, these three boys saw, the, or one of them saw the nakedness of his father, Ham. Now Ham knew that his father was drunk. He was uncovered and he made fun of him, mocking him as a father and as a man of God. So you're a man of God. You hear from God, look at you. You're all drunk and you're naked there and everything. He did not honor his father. So Ham did not honor his father. And he told with delight his brothers outside the tent what was going on. That's what the Hebrew indicates. It wasn't just reporting what happened. It seemed like he was delighting in his father's dilemma as he told them. He was determined to mock his father and undermine his authority as a man of God. It's what you need to get from those first verses. Verse 24 continues. So Noah awoke from his wine, and he knew what his younger son had done to him, says in verse 24. Verse 25, then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant shall he be to his brothers. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth, his other brother, and may he and may Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Now when he says, Cursed be Canaan, it seems strange that if Cain had, since, had sinned against, I, I'm sorry, if Ham had sinned against Noah, then why is God cursing Canaan? Ham's son. Well, we know that God, we know from the Bible that God does not punish the son for the sins of the father. So he wouldn't punish Canaan for the sins that Ham did in seeing his father and disrespecting his father. But God knows every day of our life. He didn't cause Canaan to sin, but he knew that Canaan would also dishonor his own father. And so God reveals that to Ham. And said, Cursed be Canaan. And he said, This is what's going to happen to you. In the same way that you dishonored your father, Ham, in the same way that you, Ham, dishonored your father, Noah, your son is going to dishonor you. And he's going to be cursed for his own actions, which he decided to do in his free will. 
And God knew this, and he reported that to, to Ham, and, and Ham was sorrowful. It appears in Noah's prophecy that God was telling Ham what's going to happen to his son. It was his way of telling Ham that in the same way you dishonored your father, your son will dishonor you. Now, it also said something that's interesting. It said, may Canaan be his servant. Now, I want to tell you right now, let's just tackle this head on. In earlier generations, prejudiced, biased, racist people regarded the descendants of Canaan as the black people from Africa. And they used this curse on Canaan to try to justify slavery and their view of black people as different from them. <laughs> There's a problem, though. Black people didn't come from Canaan. Canaan was the father of the Near Eastern people. Turkey, that area, Syria, that area, and everything like that. We'll read about that in a little bit. Most of those people were conquered. Canaan was the father of these Near Eastern people, and most of those people lived in Canaan, the land of Canaan, which was the land that God gave Israel to possess and, and to destroy the people that were there. Most of those people lived in Israel. They weren't black, is what I'm saying. And those people were conquered by Joshua because of their great sins that they had done, not because uh, God didn't like them. He gave them chance after chance. In fact, he wouldn't even let Israel go in until the sin of certain tribes in Canaan was complete. He gave them chance after chance after chance to repent and to stop the sinning, but they didn't. So he sent Israel in and used sin as a punishment for those people. But those weren't the black people out of Africa. Those were conquered by Joshua when Israel came in to possess the promised land. You see, the scripture, this passage in scripture has nothing to do with slavery or blacks. The Bible teaches that God loves each one of us the same, regardless of the color of our skin. There's times when I've been much lighter than I am now. And there's times when I was in the Navy when I was a young man and we tried to get just as dark as we could from the sun and I was so dark I didn't even look like the same person. Skin differences can happen easily. In fact, they're not even a major thing. Did you know that two white people have more difference in their DNA than a white person and a black person. A white person and a black person have far more identical DNA than two white people might have who are different people. And people that are of Chinese descent, Oriental descent, people who are of uh, Hispanic descent, people who are uh, from the northern areas and, and Russian descent, Siberia, Alaska, and Canada, all of these people, Japan, all your DNA is far more different from another person of your same country, of your same city, of your same family even. Your DNA is far more different than them than it is of any person with a different skin color. So come on, we're all children of God here. Got it? We're all created in the image of God, regardless of our race, regardless of the differences that we have. I remember that little song, Jesus Loves the Little Children of the World, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. I'm so glad of that. I'm so glad of that. Jesus loves me, regardless of who I was born to be. He loves me, and I'm His child. And you know what? I've got beautiful brothers and sisters of all different colors, all different heights, 
There's some people taller than me. I wish that I was as tall as they are. There's some people shorter than me. Thank God I'm not the shortest. Maybe I will be later. We'll see. But anyway, I'm so thankful for the different friends that I have, the different family that I have, and to see the different ways that the Holy Spirit of God uses each and every one of them. So don't you let those racists and don't you let those race baiters deceive you and try to pit you against your brothers and sisters. Together, we are the children of God, saved and given everlasting life through the Son of God. And there is no differentiation between the Jew and the Greek, Gentile and Jewish. We are all saved who believe on Him as the Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we are all given everlasting life. And you better get used to it because we're going to be spending everlasting life together in a wonderful kingdom that has things so beautiful you cannot even imagine them now. Now then it goes on in verse 28, chapter 9, it talks about Noah. It says, Noah lived after the flood 350 years. Now we spoke of this last week a little bit, but let's cover it again. Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah, all together from 600 years when he uh, built that ark and went inside. Now 350 years, he lived uh, 950 years. Uh, I don't know how he did that. I'm getting a little older now. I can't do things I could do only five years ago. I can't do those things, you know. It used to be just fighting against bros over there in Israel. It was so easy. He was just such a pushover and everything. Now I really have to work at it. Just kidding you, bros. Anyway, God bless you guys. And now in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we hear a lot about Methuselah, the oldest person who ever lived, right? 969 years of age. 969 years of age. But yet in Genesis 9, we read something that most people never notice, that Noah lived to be 950 years. What? That's only 19 years less than the oldest man who ever lived, Methuselah. Noah was a remarkable man. He served God in his own generation. He walked with God and was a preacher of righteousness. And God used that simple man to be the start of all civilization as we know it today. Noah was the kind of man that God could use. In other words, he was humble. He was yielded to God. Noah made the decision that his life existed because the creator of all things had put him on earth and breathed life into it. So he understood that his life belonged to God. And if his life belonged to God, then Noah would allow God to use him in whatever way God wanted to. And look at what God did with a single man, a yielded man, the one who realizes that God is the maker and creator of their life. He's the maintainer. He's the one who sustains you in life. He's the person that God can use, the person who gives his life back to God. Now. We go into Genesis chapter 10. Let's get going. Just keep on going quick and we're going to go through this. Now I got to tell you, this is a bunch of names. And you're going to say, oh no, uh, genealogy. Pastor Stephen, they put me to sleep. I understand I'm a coffee drinker myself. And as you can probably tell, I just had a cup. So hang in there. You'll, you'll be okay. I'm going pretty fast. I hope I don't get a speeding ticket. But these are the genealogies of the sons of Noah, it says in verse 1 in chapter 10. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, these are the sons of Noah. And sons were born to them after the flood. 
Genesis 10 verse 2 says, The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. These are the sons of one of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, these are the sons of Japheth. He was the father, listening carefully now, he was the father of the Indo-European people. That area stretching from India to the shores of Western Europe, Mediterranean shores. They are each linked by linguistic, by ling, not by linguini, but by linguistic similarities that often seem invisible to normal people, but they're very obvious to the person who works in languages. You can hear certain types of sounds, certain types of pronunciations from different languages because these people were linked and came from the same area. These were the sons of Japheth. Well, Gomer is one of them, the sons of Japheth, and that's an easy one. It's Gomer is actually the root of the Germanic or German, <laughs> the people from Germany, the Germanic people. In fact, in, in Hebrew, the reason why I'm getting mixed up is we call that Germania. Germania and Germanit, okay. And, and then we, we have the German people, and most of those came from the Western Europe influence of Japheth. But he traveled away from the Mediterranean and went further north into what is now Europe and to the area of Germany. And others from that lineage also settled in France, in Spain, and even further north in the Celtic settlers. Now Magog and Tubal and Meshach, which were also sons of Japheth, these settled in the far north of Europe, more to the east, and became the Russian people. And of course, before it was Russia, it was Prussia. And yeah, it was some of the area inhabited by East Germany today. Magog, uh, where have you heard that name? Well, you've got to think about that a little bit when we talk about Ezekiel chapter 38, very important prophecy, where God says that this person named Magog is going to come from the north and try to invade Israel. It's going to be a massive invasion. Magog. It says that all the way in Ezekiel 38. Well, that's interesting. How are we going to know who that is, Pastor Stephen? But you're going to look at Genesis chapter 10 and you're going to see where Genesis chapter 10 talks about Magog and where he settled. And then you'll be able to look on a modern map, you see, and see who lives in that area where he settled today and you will know that that's the country that's going to come against Israel later in that prophecy of that invasion in Ezekiel 38. But don't fear. God himself is going to take care of you in that invasion and turn Gog and Magog back. Tubal is the same way. This turns out that Magog, these are the people that settled in the Russian area. Well, we know now that there's not real good relationships between Israel and Russia right now. And many of the Russian people in Israel today could not even leave the Soviet Union before. They weren't allowed to leave even though they were Jewish. They could not leave because the Soviet Union forbade them, would not allow them to leave and go back to Israel. And then when the Soviet Union collapsed, then all of those people were free, and it became the largest wave of immigration to the new land of Israel ever. 
all of those people finally free to leave and go to a homeland where they're around other Jewish people. Magog. He's going to be the enemy that's going to try to invade Israel. And now you know where he lives. That's the area commonly known as Russia today. Tubal. That's interesting. We had that Russian city, Tubalisk. Okay. It's after that name, Meshach. Most modern scholars feel that Moscow is just came from Meshach. So these three people that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 identify the area of Russia. And it's going to be important later when you see their names hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later in the prophecies spoken of by Ezekiel. You'll also see some of these other names mentioned in Daniel Hanabi, Daniel, in the latter chapters of the book of Daniel. But then he also talks about Madai here in these first verses. From this son of Japheth, the ancient Medes came, and they populated what is now Iran and Iraq. The peoples of India also came from this branch of Japheth's family. Now, Yavan is an easy one, because even today, we call Yavan Greek, or Greece. And in Hebrew, <laughs> that's, that's what we call it, is basically this person's name, Javan. Yavan is how we say it, because Hebrew doesn't have really a J sound, so you use a Y sound instead. Sometimes they say a J sound just to accommodate English speakers, but really, uh, pure Hebrew doesn't have the J sound, the J, like Javan. They call it Yevan. It's an I or a Y on the front of that. So from this son of Japheth came the ancient Greeks, the people who travel the seas, who are famous for their travels along the seas in the Mediterranean, the Atlantic there, described in Genesis 10, right here. The sons of Gomer, the sons of those who settled in Germany, were Ashkenaz, Repath, and Togamah. Ashkenaz was the son of Gomer, uh, came the peoples who settled north of Judea into what we call the Fertile Crescent. And by the way, we have the Ashkenazim, who are Yehudim, or Jewish people, who came from Germany. And I'm Jewish, and my family was Jewish, and my great-grandmother was Ashkenazim. And she came from a village in the southeast of Germany. And the persecution was so bad in Germany before World War I in 1870, 1880, that she left there and came to America. And that's how my family got started in America. And then Togomar. Togomar, from this son of Gomer, we have the Armenians. Now, Genesis 10, verses 4 through 5, we've got to hurry up and go through these. The sons of Yavan, the sons of the Greeks, the sons of Yavan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. And from these, the coastland people, the people of the Mediterranean, if you will, of the Gentiles were separated into their lands. Everyone according to his own language, according to their families and their nations. So the sons of Yavan, these are going to be the people around the Mediterranean coast. In fact, you even see some of these... Uh, some of these uh, names mentioned in prophecies of the last days, Tarshish, the ships of Tarshish and everything, ruling the seas. And these are the ones who are going to see Russia trying to come down and take a spoil by invading Israel. It's spoken of hundreds and hundreds of years later, after Genesis chapter 10 was written. And yet you see, by where these people live in Genesis chapter 10, where they're going to come from when they exist later, hundreds of years later in those prophecies. So this table of the nations 
is your roadmap to prophecy. Now you have the key for the 30-day months that tells you when things are going to happen according to prophecy. And now you have your map that tells you where these ancient people settled in Genesis chapter 10 with those names. Because if you look for them hundreds of years later, even today, you won't know what these names are. But if you open up the Bible to Hosefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and you look at these names and you see where they settled, then you can look on the map today and say, ah, that's where they settled. And today that nation is called Germany. Today that nation is called Russia. Today that nation is called Turkey. You see, it is a key to prophecy. So that's what we're going to do as we go through these names. We're going to keep bringing up that point. Genesis 10, verse 6 says, The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Now, we already covered Canaan. We already knew that he was the son of Ham, that he was cursed because of how he would dishonor his own father, Ham, just like Ham dishonored his father, Noah. But sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put. Now, Cush is referred to as what we now know as Ethiopia, and that's where it is. So when you see prophecies refer to Cush, you'll know that they're talking about people from Ethiopia. And Mizraim, that's an easy one. In Hebrew today, our word for Egypt is Mizraim. So that's where Mizraim is. Mizraim is Egypt. And so even in Hebrew today, in modern Hebrew, that's our word for Egypt. So when you see the word Mizraim in prophecy or anywhere else in the Bible, it's talking about Egypt. Put is Libya. Put is, uh, is Libya, I believe that, yeah. And, uh, and then Canaan, of course, we've already mentioned that was a land that was settled in Israel before God displaced those people and gave that land as an inheritance to the Jewish people. So the descendants of Ham are the people who populated much of northern Africa and even the Far East. You see, when people talk about that curse that I was talking about, and they say, oh, that's slavery. Yeah, and God's just paying them back for doing that to his father Noah and everything. And, and so the blacks are slaves now. That You don't know what you're talking about. Because Ham was also the father of some of the early people in the Far East, the Sinites. Okay, I'm not talking about sinners. I'm talking about Sinites. That's what we call those, the Sini, the Sinim, uh, from China and, and, and the Far East and everything. It wasn't just the northern part of Africa, it was other areas around too. And so some of those people, even through Cush, even founded Babylon. Notably, Nimrod, who's actually talked about in this chapter. And others founded Ethiopia. So Mizraim is just another way to say Egypt. Put refers to Libya, the region of North Africa, west of Egypt. Canaan refers to the peoples who originally settled the land that we today think of as Israel. Now, going on, chapter 10, verse 7 through 12, the sons of Cush. The sons of Cush were Siba, Havilah, Sabta, Ra'amah, Septicha, and the sons of Ra'amah were Sheba and Didan. And you've heard about those even in the New Testament. Cush begot Nimrod, and then it talks a little bit about Nimrod. Look at what it says here in Genesis 10, 7 through 12. It says, Cush begot Nimrod, and he, Nimrod, became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter. That used to be a saying that they had, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom, Nimrod's kingdom, was Babylon. 
you know, the tower, the big city. Erech, Achad, and Kalneh, in the land of Shinar, the plain of Shinar. You've heard about that, where the Tower of Babel was going to be. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, which was a great, great city, a huge city, one of the largest in the world at that time. And then Rehoboth Ir, it's funny when I see that name because I know that Rehoboth, well, that's streets. Ir is city, so it's streets of a city. I'm thinking, well, they didn't have cars in that day, so I guess there were just streets that people walked down. But anyway, it says Kala and Resed, between Nineveh and Kala, that is the principal city. So we're talking about Nimrod here. It said, oh, he was a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. What you don't understand, though, is when it says a mighty hunter before the Lord, when it says before, it's not talking about in a good way. It's saying that he was boasting and rebellious before God, that he exalted himself against God and would also teach other people to rebel against God and do what he said instead. He thought that he was kind of like a god, if you will. And he was a mighty one in the earth. He was a politician, if you will, that took power. And he was mighty and he ruled over people with an iron fist. And he ruled over them and he had them build this big tower to the heavens. He was going to build some tower that he could go into the heavens and become over everybody else, I guess. But it didn't work out. God changed the languages. Everyone was confused. They ran off and go into their own place to people who spoke like them. Hmm. Kind of the way it is today, I guess. You know, we stay in places where we can understand the language. Some of the brave ones of us try to go out and learn those new languages like Ibrit. Hmm. No, I learned Hebrew also. I speak English. And like I've told you before, I, I catch myself saying the wrong words sometimes in Hebrew. And I go, what am I doing trying to learn Hebrew? At first... Many years ago, I couldn't even understand the letters and everything. And I tell the Lord, Lord, after all, I was born and raised in Texas. Some people say I never really learned English. But <laughs> here I am learning Hebrew. And now today, I, I can speak Hebrew and fine, stay in Hebrew 100% of the time on the streets over there. Thank God, because I wouldn't be able to order Arachat Boker, Baboka, Tel Aviv, the Kurs Cafe. No, so I wouldn't be able to order those tasty breakfasts in Tel Aviv if I didn't know the Hebrew. Come on, I'm motivated here. I'm motivated to speak this Hebrew right. I don't want them bringing me something like liver when they order a regular omelet with vinaigrette and salat israeli, Israeli salad. So, here we go. Nimrod wasn't a humble man. He was a bragger. He was not humble at all. He boasted before God. He tried to encourage rebellion against God. And now here we are this many years later. God's still here. Where's Nimrod? He's gone. Don't be caught in the trap trying to build yourself up, make a powerful name for yourself. Better to exalt the name of the Lord. Everlasting life is in his hand. Now we go on down to the next verse as we continue going quickly. Verse 13 through 14. And it says, the son of Mizraim, the sons of Mizraim. Who is Mizraim? Egypt. The sons of Egypt. Begot Ludim, 
alamim lehabim lehabim neftu sorry neftu him patrusim kasuhim kasuhim from who came the Philistines, which we call Philistini in today's Hebrew, Philistines and Kaphtorim. And then Genesis 10, verse 15 through 19, the sons of Canaan. Canaan begot Sidon, which he's mentioned, New Testament, Old Testament, and prophecies all over the place. Begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, Heth, the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Arvadite, the uh, Zimmerite and the Hamathite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, Sidon, as you go toward Gerar, as far down as Gaza. And then as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zebuim, and as far as Lashah. You see how these things are all coming together. And why were they dispersed? Remember the Tower of Babel? We'll cover that in the next chapter. Canaan begot Sidon, Tyre and Sidon. You ever heard of those Lebanese coasts and those prophecies? Of course, well, now you know where they came from. Now you know where those people settled and why Tyre and Sidon were cities in Lebanon on that coast. Because it said here hundreds of years earlier in Genesis 10, that that's where they settled. Genesis 10, verse 20, the spread of the descendants of Ham. It says, these were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, and in their nations. It says, the sons of Ham. That's basically saying, these are the people that we just described. That's where they landed. Now it's going to switch gears and go on. It started with Japheth. Then it went to Ham. Now it's all the way to Shem, the third son of Noah. And it says in Genesis 10, 21 through 22, the sons of Shem were Elam, Asur, Afaxad, Lud, and Aram. And children were born also to Shem, it says in the verse, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Ashur, Afaxad, Lud, and Aram, just as we said. Children were born to Shem. Now, Shem is where we get our word Semite. Remember, so many weeks ago, I told you that the Hebrew letter Shin looks like a W, looks like an English W, but it has a little dot on one side or the other. And depending on if that dot is on one side, it's pronounced as sh, like an SH sound. But if the dot's on the other side, it's pronounced as s, without the sh, just s, so sh and s. And actually the letter changes its name. If the dot is pronouncing it sh, then it's called shin is the name of that letter. And if it doesn't have the dot on that side and it's pronounced as sa, it's called sin. It has nothing to do with doing right or wrong. It's just the name of the letter. And so it's saying that's an S sound. It looks like a W to English speakers. That's the way it looks in Hebrew, bevrit. So Shem is the father of the Shemites. I've never heard of a Shemite. Hmm. Maybe you've heard of the Semites. Have you heard of anti-Semitism? Those are people who are against the Semites, against the children of Shem. Now, from the very beginning, anti-Semitism was meant not only for the uh, Jewish people, but for other people who were descendants from Shem who were not Jewish, who did not come from Abraham. 
And so sometimes they can have anti-Semitism against them as well. Interestingly enough, though, most of the anti-Semitism against the Jews today comes from some of their own brothers that came from the same area and claim to have Abraham as a father as well. But the true children of Abraham are the ones that has the faith of Abraham. That's what Jesus said. So we look at that. Well, they all settled into the area which is now Syria. Lud was in Asia Minor, Turkey, and other areas like that, and Syria. And Aram was the father to the Arameans, who were also known as Syrians. You see where they settled. And Arphaxad was the ancestor to Abram and the Hebrews. He came from Ur of the Chaldeans, right? But then he moved to Israel. So now you know where the Shemites, the children of Shem, came from and where they settled. The sons of Aram. Now we talk about in Genesis 10, 23, and wrapping up, going really quick now. The sons of Abram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Now Uz was later in a region in Arabia, named after his son Aram. And Job actually came from the land of Uz. We find that out in Job chapter 1, verse 1. And our fox side is spoken of now in Genesis 10, 24, and 30. It says the descendants of our fox side. Our fox side begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber, and Eber had two sons. The name of one was Peleg, and for in his day the earth was divided. It's talking about the division that happened when they were uh, divided from the Tower of Bevel and given different languages and dispersed throughout the earth. His brother's name was Yoktan. Yoktan begot Amudad, Shelet, Azamavet, Azamavet, sorry, and Yara and Habilram. Uza, Digla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ofer, Habilam, and Jobab. Not Jobab from Texas, but Jobab, Middle Eastern name. And all these were the sons of Yoktan. And their dwelling place was from Mesha as you go towards Sepha, the mountain on the east. All these were the sons of Yoktan, it said. Now, Genesis 10, verse 31, wrapping this chapter up, landing this plane. The spread of the descendants of Shem is what it's talking about. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families. It's saying these are the people we just described according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. So when you're looking for Shemites, you know where to look. When you're looking for Hamites, you know where to look. When you're looking for the children of Japheth, you know where to look. The European coast, the Mediterranean coast, up into Europe, out to India, you know where to look. Western Africa, Northern Africa, and all that area into, uh, into further east and everything, those are the sons of Ham. And now you know that the Shemites are right there around Syria, where Israel is today and everything. All of that area. And then at Noah, when he gave this blessing, he said that Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. That's interesting. Who do you think of when you think of a Semite? Shem, not an anti-Semite. Those are people who are against the Semites. But a Semite, you'd think of a Semite nation, well, that's Israel. Those who are against Israel and, and, and bigoted and racist against them, those are called anti-Semites. But the Semites and Jewish people in Israel, well, Noah had said in his blessing to his sons, Japheth and Shem, he said, Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. That's interesting because Japheth 
went into Europe and settled Europe and those settlements came from there over to America and everything. And now look who is close friends with Israel, the young lions of the European continent, the United States, Canada, other people like that who came from Japheth dwelling in the tents of Shem. They're aligned with each other. They support each other. A lot of anti-Semitism though in Europe. And But much of the Western culture has been supportive of Israel. And Noah had said, Japheth, your seed is going to dwell in the tents of Shem. You guys in Israel are going to be like that. You're going to support each other, help each other out in the future. Wow, was that prophetic. Then we wrap up Genesis 10, verse 32. It's basically a summary statement to close the chapter out. And it's basically going to tell us what we just did. And it said, these were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these nations were divided on earth. Their nations, and from these nations, were divided on earth after the flood. It all happened from these nations, from these peoples. Everything that we know about on earth, all the nations that exist, regardless of what they were called a few hundred years ago and what they're called today, those areas were settled by these people. So when the Bible speaks of prophecies and tells you these names that only exist in Genesis 10, you'll know how to interpret that prophecy. You'll know how to find out who it's talking about. And when you go back to Genesis 10, you see who it's talking about, you'll be able to see where they settled, and so you'll know where those people that prophecy is talking about live today. So if it's talking about someone who's going to come against Israel from the north, Magog, Tubal, Meshach, you're going to know that that's talking about Russia, the people that settled there, or the ones coming against you. No mystery, you see. God's given you a key to prophecy. Jesus said, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. For you do not know the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. But as a thief in a night, in an hour when you think not, the Son of Man will come. Believe on Him, belong to Him. If you believe on Jesus as the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, you will be saved. For in your heart you believe to righteousness, and with your mouth confessing Him before man, confession is made unto salvation. Be saved, give your life to Him, and the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom into these things to where these days will not take you by surprise. You're in His hands when you believe on the Messiah as the Lord, the Son of the living God. Now, we'd like to give you a chance to know the Lord today. Why don't you give your life to Him right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear you and He'll hear that cry and He'll rescue you from the darkness, that situation you're in. He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life, a new chance, a new slate. And don't worry about messing that up. He'll forgive even the newer sins too. He loves you so much. Because His Son is the kippur for your sins. 
Hatayim Shalcha. Okay, he is the atonement for your sins. He will give you new life and freedom from those sins if you believe on him. He'll change you into a new person, give you new life. Throw out all that bad stuff, all that bad history. You'll drive off from that and leave it behind in the rearview mirror. You don't even have to worry about it being back there anymore. You'll be completely new, given a new start. And he'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God himself. I want to give you an opportunity to believe on Jesus as Messiah and Lord right now. To receive God's peace in your life, don't put it off another day. You don't know if you have another day. I'll say that again. You don't know if you have another day. Today is the day of salvation. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son to the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. Pray with me. Just say, God, I do want to know You and have real peace in life. I do believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. Oh, he's busy. He's holding the universe together. But he's all-powerful, and he promises us he heard you. And he's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And as seeds do, they grow for a while. You can't see them growing because it's all happening underground. But over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. You can attend here. You can attend anywhere that teaches the Bible faithfully. Make sure it's a Bible-teaching church, though. Learn about God and His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.